Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, who is finally back from his trip to Uganda. Did you miss me? I did, man. It's just not be the honest same. With, did you be honest with me? Did you? Of course. Because I don't know that my wife does. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, we've been married 27 years, and I think sometimes she, she just needs the time. The you know? space. Yeah. There's uh, a, I mean, yeah. Micah can't even understand this because he's been married like a year, but like, there comes a moment where you're like, you know what? I just need some space. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's just not the same around here. It's just not the same energy and the same vibe. Now, granted, you know, I kind of get into a... To I get into my own vibe and, and headspace and lead the team, and, you know, there's probably uh, maybe less distractions because you know there's yeah. less people buzzing around because you took a team of some of which were staff so that's true uh, we did kind of empty it out a little bit but it i mean it was yeah. it was great but also it's just not the same when everybody's yeah. away uh, it's encouraging to me that the, I mean, the church is 12 years old and i've been gone quite a bit this summer you know traveling to you know speak lead things family vacation mission stuff and the church has actually grown while I was out, um, which, you know, on the one hand, it's like, well, it kind of makes me insecure. But on the other, it's like, no, that's actually really good because uh, the church, it, it, no church should need one person to sustain, right? We, yeah. we all need each other. Yeah, it's the body. Yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. And, you know, we're surrounded by great communicators. But more than that, I think that's the thing. You, people mostly focus on the Sunday of what is... Uh, a church, how it's running, but it's, it's, there's also Sunday through Sunday in between that. And I can be completely gone and you guys, you know, you're running a tight ship. These guys respect you. You know, you certainly don't need me for that stuff. So it's like, the, I'm in Uganda. I think it's where I'm at, right? When V like VBS, like hundreds of kids are showing yeah. it's a, You guys, it was an organized chaotic Bible week oh it's been a wild summer i mean obviously we've gone through the summer of psalms has been our content but it's really been a summer of fun (laughs) because um you've had the opportunity to to travel and get back on the mission field and um we had this our largest vacation bible school week by far um had the chance to speak a couple weeks ago yeah and did a great job it's got like more views than mine on youtube right now so that's funny um and so we've had, you know, it's different guest speakers. It's just been, it's been kind of lighthearted and, but yet full of energy and yeah. momentum. And, uh, and yeah, you, you came back and uh, wrapped up our series this past Sunday um, with our largest attended Sunday in conduit history outside of an Easter Sunday. So we, we, uh, we set you up, man. We set you up, gave you a big softball to knock out of the park. You sure did. Now that said, like when we're looking at August, we so we sent out a text on Saturday morning saying, "Hey, look, it's it's going to rain a lot. So if you can carpool tomorrow, you know, we started getting text messages from people. Hey, we're just going to watch at home today. So I, you know, I, I was actually kind of um, pleasantly surprised a that it was jam packed, but then when you told me we had twice as many devices watching online as we normally do, there's a little bit of oh no, what are we going to do in August? Because that means that the you know." There was a lot of people watching from home uh, with their families, and I mean, we're at the place on Sundays right now where it's like packing for a trip. Like, I need to figure. I'll put the deodorant <laughs> in the shoes. I'm gonna roll my socks up. Like, we're trying to squeeze every place we can into um, for people on Sundays. We might just have to move the chairs out. All of them. Just take all the chairs out, and then everybody just bring a blanket. And sit on the floor. Just sit on the floor. <laughs> Because we could technically fit more yeah. people in that way. What do you think? Okay, what do you think would, would what would codes do if we on the side where the windows are now put like giant barn doors and they just open up like you know like those bars or restaurants where they get the big garage doors and the outdoor seating kind of becomes in. Yeah, think we could get away with that? I'm sure we could get away with people sitting in uh, rocking chairs on the uh, with the barn doors on the side. Like. Um, that's a great idea. Also. Uh, your proclivity for enjoying cool air. Oh, uh, yeah, that's kind of puts a hole, that's pokes a, a hole in that. That is a competing goal. Um, yeah, you enjoy the AC. Uh huh. 
with giant holes in the wall uh, that may present a problem. Yeah, unless you get a couple of window units and put them on <laughs> tables next to me. Like, man. You can go Uganda style at that point. <laughs> and speaking of, I mean, you were in Uganda. Again, a team, 11, 12 days. Man, 30 to 40 hour travel days yeah. just to get there and to get back. Um, but some amazing things happened while you were there. Yeah, I'm not as young as I used to be. True. None of us are. And nothing. it's never more clear than when those little, you know, memories on your iPhone pop up. And because I'm in Uganda, so they're popping up. We always go in July when we go. So I'm like, man, I, uh, golly, I didn't have any gray hair on that one. How old were you the first time you went to Uganda? It's 2008. So what was that? It was 35? Okay. 36? Yeah. Um, that w- I was still in the music business. In fact, my mother had just passed away. This was August of 2008. Oh, wow. She had a uh, an illness that uh, was undiagnosed, and from the time she knew she was sick to the time that she was gone was about two weeks. But we, I was trying to make a decision. Wow. Do I go to Africa? Because you know it's like when you got somebody sick. Do I do? And and I and I really felt that I was supposed to go. Now what I thought that meant was that my mom was going to be around a lot longer, so I felt the peace to go. Sure. But she ended up. Uh, she stepped into it, which honestly is oh my goodness. In hindsight, for her, that was the best thing it could be is, is watching this from heaven because she never knew me as a missionary or mm. as uh, as a pastor, really. Yeah. So, you know, this the kind of pickles that I keep finding myself in the middle of. Like, she, it would not have done good for her for, yeah. from the side of heaven. So, And speaking of the pickles, so that, this is going to sound like a stretch or a segue, but it's not. The, what's happening in Taiwan right now or with, yesterday with our Speaker of the House landing in Taiwan and poking drag, uh, the dragon in the butt. Um, Uganda, East Africa in general, and we've talked about it a little bit on this show. Is this a show? Is that what this is? You could say that. This podcast, it felt really weird to say it that way, is like China's not screwing around right now. And what was wild was um, hanging out over there with Alex Matala, the guy that we've known, worked with for 12 years. And two of his young people that have just graduated from university uh, went to language school to learn to speak Mandarin. So Deborah was with us the whole time. So here's this little Ugandan girl, who, by the way, already speaks Lugandan and speaks English, who is fluent in Mandarin. And I was like, Alex, if you know Alex, this guy doesn't do anything by accident. Yeah, he's very strategic. Yeah, I've honestly never seen anybody in any country that is like 10 steps ahead of everybody else like he is. I mean, we showed up at one of the church plants, uh, and he just neglected, forgot to tell us, oh, and by the way, there's like 70 acres of plantains and bananas that we planted here so that this town can have jobs. Amazing. What? 70 acres. I'm like, what? Like this looks like a pun. Is this this is the yeah? We we started this so the village they have jobs here now, um, but you know that was like, uh, in the middle of that village you know anyway, but his he's sending kids into to learn Mandarin because he sees a future here where China is at least extraordinarily influential, um, and so you know what's happening in Tai Taiwan right now is certainly newsworthy and certainly gets our attention when China threatens to shoot down the Speaker of the House. Um, but they've been economically invading the world for a while. And we drove on highways. We drove on, uh, we literally drove across the Nile River on a bridge. That China built? That China built. That China paid for. That Ugandans built. <clears throat> That's fair. Um, they... They roll into Africa under the guise of investment, and we see you as a economic partner in the future. And, you know, the Ugandans initially, especially their government and their president still, by the way, views this and his narrative as, well, you guys in the West just don't understand, you know, because the West doesn't want to invest in, China, in Uganda because the money, you're going to lose it because of corruption. But if you're not concerned about human rights, corruption is a lot harder, and it's not about the... Uh, the investing in them. It's about there's oil in northern Uganda, and now there's gold, by the way, that they've dis- like a huge cache of gold that they've discovered. And the minerals that it takes to record the very thing and listen to the very thing, you know, this uh, podcast is are all, you know, from East Africa. And China has built an entire infrastructure. They've loaned the money to Uganda. 
uh, under the guise of it's like Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. Like, I'm going to loan you, but I'm going to own you. Uh, and that's exactly what happened, like, at the airport. Um, we're, we're getting ready to come home. Uh, the last night of the trip, we checked with the airlines. We checked the web. You do not need a COVID test to get back in the United States, okay? It's one of the very few logical things that have been going on in the world. Uh, Uganda, the airport that they uh, have expanded with money from China, they're in default. And the question is, who owns that airport right now? And I think the answer is, you know, exactly who owns your house if you stop paying for it. And so uh, these guys put up a straight up tent outside the airport saying, yeah, you don't need a test to get on your plane, but you need a test to get inside this airport. So literally outside the airport, guys with guns uh, checking for either a vaccine card or a negative test. And conveniently, if you want to get a negative test, uh, they're, they're right over here for about $100 each. And the 10-minute rapid test is going to take you an hour and a half, so you might not make your flight. It's so frustrating. I mean, obviously, I can say that very easily sitting way over here. But when you're there in the middle of it uh, trying to get home, and it's just a racket that they're running. The 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 uh, one belt one road, which I guess is called the Belt and Road Initiative now, mm-hmm. is what we're referring to. Um, that China has put up, and they plan to put up seven trillion dollars to build this uh, over the course of the next um, almost twenty years. Yeah, I mean it's the the end game here for them is to you know have enough ports enough. Um, Exports, imports through all of East Africa, yeah, and into North Africa and into Europe. It's a slow, meticulous, strategic yeah. move west out of China. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Taiwan's big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of things happening that are all tied together. And of course, if you're writing billions of dollars worth of checks to a country, mm-hmm. um, makes it pretty easy to just take it yeah the the chinese government is definitely playing a long game has been playing a no long doubt game. starting with recognition that the, the for them to get where they need to go they're going to have to recognize some aspects of capitalism so they can do business with the united states yes but to get to a point now where they don't want to uh, don't want to need to have the united states in the picture so for them to build and infrastructure all over Europe and Africa means they don't need our money anymore for their businesses mm-hmm. to sustain. And at least that's their, their principal idea. Um, they, you know, finding oil in Uganda, building the highways in which that it's going to be, and then literally loaning it to the countries. Um, it's like they can invade without ever having to fire a shot. Yes, it's um, happening. And when you think about it, from a perspective of, uh, like a biblical lens of eschatology. You know, Revelation 9 speaks of a 200 million man army marching from the east. I mean, when John wrote that, I'm not even sure there were 200 million people on earth. Yeah, probably not. And now, there's only one country that has 200, you know, of course, is it metaphor? You know, most of my preterist friends that think this already happened, they're all, it's all, you know, it, it, when you when, when you want to try to rewrite something in scripture, the best thing you know, the only thing you do is it, it all it's all metaphor and you know. But when you see a very very specific number, right, like that, you're like, well, that didn't feel so metaphorical. Um, maybe you should just take it at face value. But when he wrote that, not only was there not 200 million on the earth, for the last few decades, there wasn't even a way to transport 200 million men across. But there is being built right now. That's true. An entire they call it the Silk Road Initiative. Yes. And and if you think about it, you know, you know, China's like any country. They don't want to have to go to war. Like they don't want to be launching nukes. And uh, but at some point, if if the world isn't working and playing well together, the oil that you need for your economy, a two hundred million man army marching across the Middle East into the you know Jerusalem, Israel, whatever, like where the the vast majority of the world if if you are a communist atheistic government that doesn't believe in god 
it's not that far of a leap that, you know what, we need you guys to quit killing each other and messing up our oil supply just to march your people in there and take over. Um, it's for sure, it helps explain even when you look at the map of uh, eschatology and the nations that will come into Israel, they're actually coming from the south as well, from East Africa, from North Africa. Uh, and suddenly there's going to be a highway for them to travel on. Suddenly they're going to have a, a new overlord to control them. Uh, and it's literally, it's like wild because it's happening in front of our eyes. And everybody, you know, look, uh, Wall Street, even Wall Street Journal, whatever, they're all concerned about Pelosi and, and, and should be because it's a pretty big deal. But nobody has been that concerned about what's happening right underneath our noses uh, without firing a shot. Yeah, I guess for those that maybe don't follow the political science side of this, um, we are an ally to Taiwan. Uh, China believes Taiwan is should be part of China. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can start to figure out the, the saber rattling mm-hmm. that's happening. So uh, it becomes a proxy war uh, for China and the U.S. to duke it out, um, which is not not good, um, especially in a, with an economy that um, appears to be in a recession, although that's now debatable, <laughs> depending on how you define the word recession. Um, and, uh, and in China, who also right now is – most people don't know this – because there's just not a ton of media coverage, but they have implemented a COVID zero policy to the max. I don't I don't know how many of us have are paying attention to any of this, but what's happening in China right now is you talk about human rights, um, the the amount of oppression, the type of oppression that's happening in these major Chinese cities is unbelievable. We've moved on mm-hmm. here in the U.S. in in many ways from all things COVID. There's still some lingering things, right. depending on what city you're in. Um, but in China, you have to have a daily COVID pass using your phone to prove that you have a green or a red QR code to get to your job, to get to anywhere, to shop, to leave the house, to walk down the street. There's COVID police, literally COVID police. Uh, making sure you have your daily test. Not not if you have symptoms, not if you're not feeling well or a family member is sick. It's just required for regular life. I mean, they are absolutely implementing a COVID zero policy yeah. that is just wrecking that country. And when you think about it in terms of, again, the biblical lens of eschatology, it's so maddening because it is it actually is to their own detriment that they're doing this. Like, it is wrecking their economy. And again, if your economy... Is, so right now, the, the plan they're doing right now is actually working really well, which is we're not having to fire a shot. We're taking U.S. dollars that we're making and we're reinvesting them in the world so that it gets them out of our hands so we're not holding U.S. dollars, which you know, weakens the dollar. And in the middle of all that, these COVID policies are going to wreck their own. So at some point, if your own economy is being wrecked, you know, uh, uh, invading militarily becomes almost essential to that, to, to, to survive. You know, I'm not a prophet. Um, I have no idea. I just know that a 200 million man army is very specific, and it is very clear that that is a, in, in this revelation of John, that that is going to happen at some point. And for, for suddenly, for the first time in 2,000 years since this was written, not only is it possible, it's plausible that it could happen. And when I go back to Uganda, what that says to me is the mission of Jesus has never been more crucial. If time is short, like we really got to be about our father's business. He was very specific. When I return, occupy until I come. There were so many parables of like the, the wicked and the lazy servant. And, and it was always some version of the, of the parable of the, the, the owner was away, the master was away, and he comes back, and the other virgins were unprepared, or the workers were lazy. Or, you know, what we need to be busy doing is occupying until Jesus returns. And so building these churches and schools and clinics in rural Uganda, you know, fighting against the, the powers of darkness that are there. Um, I feel pretty, as, as 
part of Conduit Church. I feel pretty good about Jesus coming back and finding us occupying, you know? Yes. Do you, I don't know if you ever like remember being like a young, uh, working at the, the restaurant or the fast food place and, you know, the manager's away, you know, you're kind of screwing around, but it comes back and surprises you like, oh man, I wasn't working. But, but, the, the, <laughs> but the feeling of when he came in or she came in and you just accidentally happened to be working at that time of like smugness of like, oh man, I did it. Um, there's actually an underlying biblical idea to that of like when Jesus returns, uh, the last thing I want to be found doing is bickering over uh, needless theological weirdo things and fighting over silly stuff. I want to be found occupying until he comes. One quick update, though, um, since the last time we, we did a podcast was gas prices have dropped by a dollar a gallon. Thank goodness. Yeah, not for long. Not for long. <laughs> you, you, you stole my thunder. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> but that's because the Saudis pumped a ton of oil into the market. But then today at the OPEC meeting. Oh, so I didn't uh, know this. So I didn't say your thunder. I was just. Yeah, you were right. Hmm. Your gut was right. Uh, they they are they're pulling way back. So enjoy enjoy the uh, the the gas that's under four dollars a gallon. Like down the road is three ninety nine, um, for the first time in a very long time. But uh, it's about to edge back up. So get it while it's low right now. Isn't it crazy? We're so we're so we're excited. excited about four dollars and still like two dollars or a dollar higher than it was. Oh. You know. Anyway, so you you wrapped up our summer of Psalm series with Psalm fifty five. How to pray when you've been betrayed has a nice little ring to it. Yeah, it rhymed. Um, and what's why Psalm fifty-five? Why did you pick this? Is it was it to complete the David Bathsheba story? Because it's pretty interesting how this storyline plays fascinating, out. Fascinating, isn't it? I can't believe Andy Irwin had made a movie about this. Show. Oh, as yeah. I was reading through Second Samuel, like man, when he gets done with his Navy SEALs film, you know, this is this would be a great. That's that's a good idea. Next next film. Was it to complete the thought, or you you were um, wrestling through some things in that psalm separately? Well, I mean, you know, you know how we did. Like we were when we went through this. It was, I mean, there's like obviously an enormous amount, like 150 chapters in psalms. So we couldn't cover them all. Um, I'm sorry, as David Schindel would say, 150 psalms. They're not chapters; they're psalms. Uh, seminary speak there, and he's not wrong. Uh, and so it was like, how do you pray when? And so for uh, for me, it was like, okay, what are the specific situations that I know our church is facing, what's the Holy Spirit saying? And the one thing that, I mean, if you don't spend any time online, you probably don't know a lot about this, but, you know, the idea of church hurt, the idea of being betrayed, it's kind of everywhere right now. You know, people experience that coming through COVID restrictions, feeling betrayed by our government, feeling betrayed by friends. Uh, in, in the church world, there's been a lot of that in the news of, you know, pastors that have had pretty spectacular and, and you know, huge falls, where, you know, betraying people. So in our culture, you know, how we deal with that has, you know, what was, here's my concern as I was even thinking and praying through it. Our culture right now tells us the way to deal with that is you have to punish the betrayer. They have to be publicly shamed. They have to be scourged and scarlet lettered and sent away and and the church the christian population if we follow that as our playbook it it's just it's literally the, the fact there's a, a book out right now i can't remember the, name of the author but it's called the, the the new puritans and it's a secular book by a secular guy but basically saying that exact thing this all this is, is a secular version of you know hester Prynne and the scarlet letter and we we follow that book and everybody at some point gets the scarlet letter because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so uh, to me, the idea of betrayal and hurt um, was appropriate. It is an appropriate one to end with as well, because there was just a lot, there was a lot to process in that. But even so like in, in a modern context, we hear it's often framed as trauma or abuse. And and by the way, sometimes it is, right? Um, and sometimes it was, you know what, my boss was just really mean. Um, now, is that abuse or is that just a boss that's really mean? Um, but by framing it all and putting it all under the, com the, the, the category of trauma and abuse, 
in my opinion, and I think it's a factual thing to say, it actually lessens the people that actually have had real trauma and real abuse. Um, to, to categorize I had a mean boss under the same category as I was sexually abused as a child does a huge disservice to actual betrayal and trauma. Now, that said, uh, because God is so good, the playbook for both is actually the same. And that's what Psalm 55 was, was David experienced tremendous, tremendous betrayal. And the playbook for that is the same as if I had a mean boss, is the same as if my dad wasn't emotionally available for me. Uh, all those, it, it doesn't even matter, but it all falls into the same category, the same journey towards faith. Do you have a, a betrayal story? Maybe that's not so serious. Or maybe it is serious. I don't know. What is yours? Mine is don- my Earl, the donkey, betrayed me for the uh, for the mare across the street. He was in love with her and forbidden love. Forbidden love? Like, what, he just like wouldn't pay attention to you? Well, what, no. When she was in heat, the wind would blow, and I mean, he acted like he didn't even know me, man. He'd break out of there and try to get in the fence. And, Friendship betrayed. Yeah. Forbidden love, you know. <laughs> it was donkeys before bros, you know. <laughs> I was uh, just a real quick one here. Uh, uh, in high school, I had a uh, had a girlfriend in high school from my freshman year to my senior year. It was like high school sweethearts, right? This is spicy. Oh, it is spicy. I've dealt with it, so we're all good. I can share this. Um, this is like a long time ago, twenty something years ago. But so you know, high school sweethearts. Long story short, she. Uh, elopes to Gallenberg with my best friend while you're dating yeah that actually happened and so when we say you know betrayal like I know what that means how'd you <laughs> find out did, 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 did they tweet it like how'd you even find <laughs> out tweet it. like I don't know how you find out <laughs> no she left she left a, a uh, she called to tell me hey if my mom's looking for me I'm I'm in Tennessee with so and so. We're getting married. We're not coming back. And hung so up the she, phone. So she calls, tells you that, <laughs> drops the phone, and <laughs> with my best bud, man, Ugh, it's wild. I guess he didn't get a Christmas card that year. No, it was a wild story. But the, but so that's interesting because that's like, so that's like that's pretty penultimate right there. I mean, you guys yeah, weren't married, but like, still, you talk know. about Andy Irwin making movies. It's like a made-for-TV. Special right there, probably. yeah, like a lifetime one, like right. a lifetime TV show because Gatlinburg or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it could be because Christmas probably happened, and you meet Jen and you get married, uh, you know, in Christmas. That's and- right, and that's the that's like the <laughs> the beautiful part of it is like two months later, this amazing girl sweeps into my life, and yeah. we've been together for twenty four years since yeah. then. Praise God. So that literally sums up so succinctly what Psalm fifty five really is about because it ends with faith. Yeah. And faith says that whatever it is that happened, the betrayal, that God's not going to waste it. Mm-hmm. And at some point in your life, you won't know when it happens, you will become and have this ability to become thankful for the thing that you wished happened the least. Man, that is so true. It's the it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Yes. And it was like the darkest thing that ever happened. 100%. Yeah. And when you read through... So David was not writing this psalm in retrospect. This was in the middle of this betrayal of his son overthrowing his kingdom. Like if, you know, if I come home today and Ethan has changed the locks, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that would hurt my feelings. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, I actually thought about that because my, my, uh, one of the things the second Samuel talks about is uh, Absalom's hair. True, yeah. How thick and lustrous it was, you know, so much that it actually, the very thing that was like his, and this is a great irony in how God, you know, how the world plays out in God, whatever, but the thing that actually that was one of Absalom's most defining characteristics was the thing that actually got him killed. That's right. Because his hair got caught up in the trees and he couldn't yes. get away and they stabbed the guy oh, with it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Ethan, you know, Ethan's hair right now is it's, very Adonis level, glorious. Um well done. And so if, uh, yeah, if I come home and he's like, he's got Asher and his wingman and whatever, and they're all like armed and kicking me out of my own house, like that, that, that hurt my feelings a lot. Um, and Absalom didn't stop there. Like he, you know, he went in, he, he slept with David's concubines. I mean, he was just, th- that's what, da- and David is not writing that in retrospect. He's writing it in the middle of it. And so 
what was important and is still important is it is okay to feel that hurt and pain that you felt and the fear like I, I would suppose you probably felt that fear of like uh who can i trust anymore uh, if yeah, I can't, of course the, out of the blue like it uh, the whole everything's turned upside down yeah yeah it was it was a really hard season but in the middle of that like it was completely redeemed and very quickly um just with you know my my wife of 22 years now yeah. coming in and and i learned what you know you know in high school it's weird right because you know in high school you don't it's not that you don't know what love is, but there's a difference between, you know, love and being infatuated, just yeah. the idea of it. And so when this other young woman comes around named Jennifer, that is uh, clearly, um, you know, being a friend to me in, in ways that I hadn't really experienced before, right. like listening and being present and understanding. Yeah. I was like, this is different. Yeah. And and uh, sparks flew. <laughs> and here we are all these years later and it's just it's a it's a huge blessing but you're right i mean it's the faith you you had three main points fear fury and faith and i i, I can resonate with all yeah. of those and i think a lot of people did from that teaching well I, I think hopefully we did and hopefully we're reminded that we can't get stuck in the fury part oh sure you can live there for a Oh, wow, it's easy to. It's what Twitter is, man. It's oh, like no literally kidding. like twenty four seven of of fury of people that are trapped in the fury part of it. And there's this delicate dance because when you when you've experienced the kind of hurt, like you, to rush right into, um, uh, it's no big deal. It's whatever. That's not healthy either. So so being angry. But I think the difference for us that I've learned over the years is. Instead of pouring that fury on my my children, on, on my family, or just punishing those around me with this fury that I feel and this rage, to take it to God and to pray out, like, God, I want, you know, I'm so angry, I'm so hurt, I'm so afraid. That's what the first part of this psalm is all David was doing, was praying what was on his, what was true. Um, and by taking it to God, it did lead to faith. Um, and, and that was the thing that I, I, I really jumped out at me was, was the realization that the psalm, even though it's about the season of Ahithophel in his life, or about Absalom, but it was actually about Ahithophel. Psalm 3 is about Absalom. Psalm 55 is about the season of this betrayal, but he wasn't writing about Absalom in Psalm 55. He was writing about, I believe, Ahithophel. His father-in-law, essentially. Uh, yeah, yeah, his grandfather-in-law. Grandfather-in-law. Uh, because Ahithophel was... Uh, Bathsheba's grandfather. Yeah. So he he had a front row seat to David doing some pretty despicable things. So he would have felt the fear. He would have felt the fury. But clearly Ahithophel never moved into the faith part of it. Had he have done that, he would have lived to see his grandson Solomon take the throne. That's right. But he didn't. Um, and it was interesting because if you... Uh, we, we all will be the betrayed and we all will be the betrayer. And if, if nothing else, you think, well, I've never betrayed anybody. You have, you've betrayed Jesus because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the language of the Christian faith is, is, is of marriage. It's of uh, the bride of Christ. And so when we have been unfaithful to Jesus, to father, to the God, to the father, God, that we're, we're being unfaithful to him. So we're betraying him every, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about David, I mean, God was like, man, I, I've done all this stuff. I've, if you still wanted more from me. I've given you this throne. I've given you your wife. I've, and you still, you know, you had to go take Bathsheba. He betrayed God. And we all do. So getting stuck in the fury part of it, because you've, I've heard it, man, I've heard, especially in counseling situations, I've heard it said, um, yeah, but I just can't get past. You don't know what they did to me. You don't. And by the way, I don't always know or don't always resonate, but I do know this, that if that's where you stay for the rest of your life, you're only hurting yourself. And when Ahithophel, the ultimate betrayal, ends up hanging himself, and Jesus, when referring to Judas, quotes Psalm 41, verse 9, which is a, which is a passage about Ahithophel, the ultimate betrayal, um, because he got stuck in the fury. And if you will let yourself stay there, and this is the dance, right? Because grief is not, um, it's not math. 
But, yeah, it's not formulaic. Yeah. So there are those who will say and and kind of make a really big deal because it's really true. Uh, this part of it is true that don't, you know, you can't tell me when I'm done grieving. You can't tell me I, I'm, you know, and that's true. You can't rush somebody through that process. But somewhere along the line, in some moment of your life, you have to look at yourself if you're still there um, and say, is it time now? Can I, can I take this to God now? Can I just in faith know that God, this thing that I wished had happened the least, that God actually could make me thankful for it? Um, because otherwise, you're just left hanging in the wind. I mean, I don't mean to be crass. Yeah, and I think partly because people use that that victimization as part of their identity. It's now who they are. Mm. It's it's how they yeah, good. identify themselves as as this victim, as this martyrer. Yeah, and it become that that wrong becomes their story and who they are, and they identify with that versus maybe the redemptive side. Yeah, because it draws attention. It brings. Um, it can bring company near you and people to surround you and it's easier just to stay there yeah. um, than to be lonely. <laughs> and anybody that's grieved, like, you know, man, it's weird for other people around it. Like they're not betraying you on purpose if they're, if they don't know how to say the right thing or don't, I mean, it's everybody's, none of us know what to say or do. We try, um, but it's not, you know, to, to then continue that, well, then you're betraying me because you're not. It actually becomes a weird self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure, absolutely. And what David talked about in earlier in Psalm 55 was, I just wish I could fly away. Mm-hmm. I just wish I could. And there is a version of that where I am punishing everybody around me. I'm building up these walls, and if you won't climb over them to get to me, then you don't love me. That becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. That's right. And it is much safer to be in there where you can't hurt me because I'm controlling this narrative um, I'm controlling the hurt and the pain, and I don't want to experience it, so I'm, so to speak, flying away. It's not a judgmental thing at all. This is just an invitation to say, man, uh, courage is, is needed and courage is taken. That's the thing that Chip Dodd refers to courage. Is it something that you're willing to be in pain for enough? You want this so much that I'm willing to be in pain to push through to get it. And for all of us, what we need the most is love and, and connection. And if we get stuck in the fury part, you begin to become more and more isolated and, you know, resentful, resentful. It's, it's 100% that resentment and nobody wants to be around that, right? Yeah. Nobody does. And so you become this, this self-fulfilling prophet. If you let yourself stay there, the self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm alone. And, but if I identify as a victim, then it's not my fault that I'm alone. And again, if you've been abused, the, the things that happened to you that you literally had no control over and somebody should have been there to protect you, those are all real things. And at some point you have to say, but now what? Do I stay here the rest of my life? Because you can. And by the way, Jesus loves you just as much. God loves you just as much if you want to stay in it. But he loves you too much to, to, to let you stay that way. He wants you to move into the moment so that, you know, the ultimate betrayal that happened to Jesus uh He's experienced it. He knows what it's like. And he, he, you know, he himself had to look at guys like Peter who betrayed him, look at guys like all the disciples who abandoned him and not stay in his fury, but to welcome them back in again, to, to love them. And there was only one that didn't make it back, and that was Judas. But I, Judas had the same grace available to him that Peter had. Same sin, different response to it. Jesus would have welcomed him back in. When, when Jesus was being betrayed the last night of his life, when, when Judas walks in, Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. And he says, you know, he doesn't stand up and say, hey, you jerk. He says, friend, what do you need from me? Like, that's the kind of grace that our God has for us. Yeah, when I see uh, fear, fury, and faith, it also kind of reminds me of um, our mainstream media, mm. how they just sit in the fear there's money in and fear, the fury, yeah. and the anger, and the talking heads going back and forth. It's just constant. They never get to the faith. They never get to the hope. They never get to the courage part yeah. of the story. They bury the lead in all of that. They sit in the in the fear and in the fury. And when you're surrounded, if you're if you're taking that in all the time, whether it's through TV and you know uh, mainstream media news and socials, I mean, it's easy to. That becomes part of who you are. If that's all you're living yeah. in is the fear and the fury. Yeah, that's actually really interesting that you put it that way because they 
monetize it. And the reason it's look, here's the, if, if we as humans were naturally joyful and courageous and loving, then we would click on stories that were joyful and loving. <laughs> but the one thing the internet did was a, gave us a, a mirror, not to the world, but my screen is a mirror of me. And the stuff that I click on is a mirror into my own soul. And 100%, if they weren't getting clicks, they would not publish those stories. It's literally as simple as that. It's true. If they didn't get the click, they wouldn't write the headlines the way that they are written. Yeah. I mean, it was just two weeks ago, I was watching this NBC headline that, you know, the numbers are like ridiculously high with COVID. And, and so like this huge, they're still doing that. And I clicked on it like an idiot. Um, and you know, I, I, the, the smug part of me was, I, I, I wonder if they actually tell the truth in this article. And way buried down deep in the lead is the actual truth, which is that the hospital numbers are not up, that they're, they're, this is a new thing and whatever. But that's not the headline. But nobody would click on that. And so there's a mirror into our own soul of, of what it is that we would click on with. It. And so fear, and it's interesting that it's fear and fury. Those are the two things that the the copy editors, that the algorithms, they're all looking for fear and they're all looking for fury because those are the two things that make us click the most, um, which is why we need the transformation of faith in our lives because at our core, our sinful nature is not those things naturally. Our proclivity is towards fear and towards fury. Yeah, because the story doesn't end there. Yeah. doesn't end there. There's courage and there's hope to be had. Yeah. And lots of it. Yeah, because it's, I just thought of this, but like the core response to any sort of danger is fight or flight. That's fear and fury. Like mm-hmm. those are the two choices. Am I going to run or am I going to fight? Am I going to do fight or flight? That's the core reptile brain they speak of, but it's the <laughs> sinful nature of who we are. Uh, and that leads us really bad places. You know, one of the moments I've felt betrayal, uh, that I felt like I was the betrayer, is driving down the road and, and, and you know asking the family, okay, where we want to go to eat? And there's a Chick-fil-A mm. and there's a Zaxby's. And pulling into a Zaxby's. Oh man, I hope I've never I, felt more shame. I hope Dan Kathy doesn't listen to this podcast. It's a big decision, but kind of got outvoted in that moment, um, and had had to do it. So, were you betrayed by your family, or you betrayed uh, Dan Kathy? It was kind of both, right? I mean, I I definitely betrayed my loyalty to Chick Fil A, um, but then I was the betrayer because I, you know, handed over cash to buy said Zaxby's. Zaxby's. And who's going to put the gas in Move Force One? You know that's what they call their private jet. <laughs> Did you know that? Yes, the plane, the private jets for uh... Move Force One. <laughs> Gosh, you can't spell Moo without Mo, and so I've got to find a way to get on this plane. Mo Force One. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a friend here in town that's friends with the Kathy family, and they have uh, it's a few of his events. Like he booked Willie Robertson for. Uh, they send the plane festival and they'll send Moo Force One to pick Gosh. up people with it. So, you know, I mean, Taylor Jet loans hers out. Dan Cathy can loan his out. It's incredible. Summer of Psalms. We've had, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of how many weeks I, we've had. I think it's seven or eight. And I only did like, what, three of those? <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think three or four. I think you did four. Four total. You did the one at the very beginning. You did the first week. Yep. You did the last week. So you did the bookends. Bookended it, yeah. And then, uh, and then in the middle, um, Psalm fifty-one, uh, parts one and two. And then, yeah, in between all that, we've had some some guest speakers join yeah. us. I mean, we have no shortage of people who can communicate really well. You know, God's word and anointed, um, which is great because I'm I'm actually listening to them. You know, like I'm getting, you know, fed so to speak from that. Um, but it did feel good to get back in the saddle. It felt a little weird, to be honest with you. I was like, man, this chair didn't fit like I thought it did, you know. But yeah, it felt good to get back. And so now we're heading into August, um, heading into our next sermon series. Um, not this week, but in a couple weeks. This week we have a, a really special guest we're excited about. We've talked about our friend Grady Pickett before from Iraq. Him and his family will be in town. We're going to catch up on everything that he's got going, going on over there. Mm-hmm. But in a couple of weeks we're going to launch a new sermon series. And we're gonna we're gonna run through the book of John. Yeah, yeah. The um, so in writing the book that I wrote, I actually saw John in a way I'd never seen him before. 
you know, that we, we know him as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, but he's also the sons of thunder. You know, he was yeah. calling down fire on the uh, Sumerians. Like there's, there's something to him that's really fascinating, but, uh, but his account, it's like, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, the, the one spiritual gift of Romans 12, this gift of mercy, which feels like uh, if you have it, the people that I know that have it, they actually don't necessarily like it because it feels pretty weak. But it's not. It's like one of the strongest gifts there is because of the you have to bear yours as well as other people's suffering, you know, the, which is the reason why John was uh, the only disciple still at the cross. It's the why it's the reason why he was the first one to the tomb. And, and I think it's probably the reason why he was the one that lived the longest with it. Um, because God could trust him with it. But it's also they're the ones that sort of don't feel like they fit in. So it's not lost on me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the synoptic gospels because they, you know, they synthesize the story. And John has his own take on the whole thing. Um, and he takes language from their culture, like Logos and Doxa, weaves it all in. But he writes at the end in chapter 20, verse, I think, 38, uh, I've written all these things. Uh, there's so much more that it would take books to fill them of all that he did. But I've written this so that you might believe that Jesus was Messiah, the son of God, who he said he was. And I feel a, an urgency of, uh, I just happened the other day, a friend of mine jumped onto uh, a, a thread on Facebook that I was on. And I, you know, it's public, so I can say his name, Dan Hasseltine from jars had, uh, of clay had jumped on, hadn't talked to Dan in a while. And, and Dan is a very thoughtful guy. He's super intellectual. And, you know, he was, I didn't, you know, he's uncomfortable with something that Jesus, uh, a version of Jesus that, that, that the Bible says. But, but he, his version of Jesus doesn't come from Scripture. It comes from what feels like it should be right. And that's, um, uh, Jesus didn't leave any room for that. And so believing that Jesus... Uh, was here, a lot of people believe he was here. A lot of people believe he was a teacher. But John said, I wrote this so you would believe that Jesus is Messiah. And that's different. The Son of God. That's different than Jesus was a good example. That Jesus, And what we believe about Jesus, man, it informs the, our, the entirety of our, our lives. Like that stuff's important. In our, not just for salvation, but just in literally how we interact with God and each other on a daily basis. Especially when John reminds us in chapter 14, verse 6, that I am the way. Mm-hmm. I am the truth. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I am the life. Yeah. Like we're all looking for the way. We're all trying to find the truth. Yeah. We're all trying to find life and meaning. And he's like waving his arms. Yeah. And that is literally the core of John in general. Like, he wrote this at a time where uh, Greek literature, I mean, the, the, the libraries of, uh, it's, it's crazy what was happening in philosophy, you know, Aristotle. At that time. Plato. Yeah. Was, and they were all searching for, uh, this was the sort of the, the idea of, uh, un, like, the, what is the meaning of life? How do we discern the meaning of life? And I think it was right around that time, and I can't remember which philosopher it was. I'll have it for probably for Sunday. Uh, is there became this movement? Well, it's just unknowable then. It's not knowable, and so logos actually logos doxa became kind of like these unknowable. Nobody can know that. It's almost like derogatory. And so when John says, "In the beginning was the Word," he's using the word logos or logos, depending on how you pronounce it. He's taking that word, saying that it's not knowable, saying not only is it knowable, it's not an idea, it's a person, it's Jesus. That is a, that's a bold, bold statement. And in our world right now, where nobody knows what's up, nobody knows what's down, people are saying a different version, which is, I don't know what's true anymore, how can you know what's true, what is true? He's saying, yeah, no, there is, a, there is truth, and his name is Jesus. And that's uh, over these let's say few months of going through John that we're going to hit that over and over again from a hundred different ways that the Jesus is the way is the truth is the life. Um, and no one gets to the father, but by him, I love, I'll, I'll never think of this word uh, the same, um, ever because, you know, logos in, in the, the Greek, um, means the, you know, the word of God. And then in the Hebrew, it means, uh, it's, it's pronounced Rhema, the spirit mm-hmm. of God. And I have a new daughter-in-law now named Rhema. Rhema, yeah. 
Uh, my son in Rama got married over the weekend, and so we're kind of basking in that. But I, I can't help think anytime that's brought up, you know, uh-huh. um, the word of God, whether Hebrew, it's Logos yeah. or the Rama word of God, it's yeah. pretty cool. It's, uh, that's a, such a great first name, yeah. honestly. It is, and it's a great word because, like, the actual specific rhema is like a word for you from God. Mm. It's it's so much more specific than even just written word on like. But that word jumped off at me. That suddenly, wow, that spoke to me in a new way. That's the the idea, the Hebrew word rhema. That's pretty cool. Well, they are enjoying themselves in Cancun this week. Kind of wish we were there too. But it's it's hot like it's... You wish you were there, too. Well, not with yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you where Gabe wishes you were not. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking... <laughs> family vacation. Metaphorically. Maybe another time. Yeah, you should go another time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 hot enough to feel like it here. Um, that's another thing that's betrayed us. Yeah. this weather. Can I, I mean, tell you a secret about Uganda that I don't like to talk about much? Because people, they, oh, it must be so hot. They sit, they you're feel in so, Africa. They feel so bad for you over there. It's like high, in the summertime, it's like high, low 80s. How is that possible? In the nights, it's like in the 60s. Um, we're, we're close to the equator. It's their winter. That's amazing. They're in school Okay. during that time. Um, now, that said, you get out in the bush. I mean, I did some sweating. I mean, uh, you know, Ethan, uh, I, I taught my son for the first time about anti-monkey butt powder. Mm. Um, you know about this, right? <laughs> I've heard. I first learned about anti-monkey butt powder because rock bands that wear leather pants. It can be, it can cause issues. Yeah, it's a little, it's like a little gerarium in there, you know. You're like <laughs> growing stuff. So by, but anti-monkey butt powder, you, it, it's like a, it's literally like this miracle chemical powder. It's not like Gold Bond where it feels very tingly and, you know, you feel alive. It just, it's absorbent and, uh. So anyway, I taught my my son about uh, anti monkey butt powder for the first time. Uh, will this help with the uh, monkey pox? See, there's a joke there, yeah, we I'm, should probably I, but I'm, I'm old enough where I'm going to walk away from that. Now. <laughs> there's so much happening in the world, and we are we're we're glad to be able to be back and talk about just a few things, and especially as it's in view of scripture, uh, something that we try to do each and every week. Over the summer, we've we've been kind of hit or miss just with so much going on, but we're going to start to hit a stride here heading into the fall, especially with our new uh, teaching series, Believe, uh, in the book of John. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited. We're going to get launched, like I said, in a couple of weeks. This next week, our, our good friend Grady Pickett's going to be in town, like we mentioned. That'll be good to catch right. up with him. Uh, by the way, I'm putting Becky. I haven't told anybody. I just I, it hit me this morning. I'm putting Becky on the stage with him. Yeah, interview Grady and Becky yeah, Pickett. She, she softens him a little bit. But here's the thing about Becky. She's tougher than he is. Yeah. Like, she's given birth to five children in Iraq. Like, the like ISIS is coming. We're gonna have babies in Erbil. Yeah, like, not like on the outskirts of like some remote area of Iraq. We're talking like right in the middle of the action and ten minutes from the airport. So when they're firing rockets from Iran, you know my neighborhood Facebook page lights up when there's fireworks. Oh, you guys didn't tell me my dogs are scared. I'm having to give them Benadryl. You know, and I I, I dare you to just watch Becky and, and Grady's Facebook page. Like they'll post pictures of rockets. Flying in, exploding because regular Tuesday evening. Yeah, it's like Thursday in uh, Iraq. You know, we got yeah. some bombs coming in here. Wow. No, no whining about the dogs or the kids. Mm. Just faith. It's pretty impressive. I'm right. excited to hear about that. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back with you next week.